Welcome, everybody, to another edition of Bucky's Fifth Podcast, episode number 54. And look, judging off of my notes here, this is actually uh, looking at the, yeah, looking at Bucky's Fifth Podcast. This is going to be number four on the SB Nation Team Brands Network. I am Jake Kokorowski. We have Owen Reese on the line, too. Fun show lined up for you this week. We're going to talk with 2019 walk-on Cooper Nelson, a conversation we had with him late last week about joining his father, former safety Scott Nelson. You may remember him as a Rose Bowl starting safety, proposed to his you know, now wife in, in, uh, at the 40-yard line in Pasadena. There we talked with Cooper about just his journey to Wisconsin, the decisions he made, how close he came to becoming a gopher, for that matter, and just what made him decide to come to Madison and, you know, be about a 20, 25 minute ride away from his house in Sun Prairie. So that'll be a fun conversation you guys will listen to. We got a mailbag section coming up. Got a couple of questions coming up as well. Owen, oh, man, let's start it off, man. How's the week going for you? And, you know, a little bit of Wisconsin news going on there, a basketball game, uh, some football news, obviously, with John Dietzen retiring, walking away from the game. Uh Decent little week of worth of news. Yeah, man, it's been good. Um, obviously, just ever like everyone else, trudging through this garbage weather we've been having over the past couple of weeks. Um, I know the basketball team I help with in high school is trying to reschedule games like crazy, and like this week, I know two of them ended up getting canceled due to the weather. But we were almost like ready to have four road games in five days just to try and get everything in. So um, between that and the Badger stuff, yeah, I mean, it's it's been fun. It's been. Uh, Good way to occupy yourself and try to ignore the eight to ten inches of snow that we've gotten over the past couple of days. Yeah, absolutely. How many how many inches did you get over there? Um, it seemed like certain places were a lot more than others. I think there was a lot of drifting last day or two, but um, I know originally in that first wave we got about nine inches here. Yeah, I know we got from what we saw. It was the first. The first set of snow, we got about seven inches, and then we got about another inch and a half that fell later. Like I did a second measurement after I basically, uh, you know, uh, scraped off my my uh, entryway to the front door. It was about an inch and a half, and yeah, it's just been maybe, and even I think to, you know when I got home from the game last night, it was maybe another half inch or so. So we got maybe around nine inches altogether, and I, I'm just I'm ready for this to be over, man. My Florida blood is just, ugh, I'm ready for it to be done. I'll tell you what, speaking of the cold, uh, the Badgers free throw <laughs> again, segue, um, Ethan Happ continuing to struggle in front of the line. And I think someone I saw tweeted it at you. I noticed it during the game as well, that he's actually starting to call out what side his shots missing on. Um, yeah, I don't know, bad was... news. Kind of interesting. Dan Dockich, when he was doing the game was talking about, he's like, yeah, like if you put the ball, like put the weight on the ball of your right foot and you just basically like flick your wrist, it'll at least go straight. Like, and you can make it a distance issue, but um, yeah, a lot, a, a lot going on. And seem, unfortunately um, for the Badgers, seemingly what Ethan happened tried to make a more direct, um, simplistic process seems to be falling off the rails here a bit with this free throw shooting. Yeah, that was big thanks to Scott Grodsky from CBS Fifty Eight in Milwaukee. He was down there, nice talking to him. Uh, or I think I said, I think I said hi to him, yeah, uh, before the game. But yeah, he tweeted that at us, uh, so that was very interesting, and. You have that. I mean, he misses all. I mean, he has a great game, you know, 20 points, 12 rebounds, another double-double on that end. But six turnovers, five in the second half, and he misses all six free throws. You know, we won't harp too long on the game because it's done and over with, and, and we're not going to really dig in too much on that. But, I mean, it's a, it's a big – I mean, that contributed to the loss. Wisconsin was 5 of 12 overall from the charity stripe, right? And then on top of that, they were only six to twenty. That's thirty percent from three point range. And you, I mean, I think obviously this team is not great from the the line. And, um, when you take out Hap overall, actually, and you guys will see this in a takeaways post that hopefully will be put up in the next uh, couple hours or or by tomorrow morning uh, about the takeaways from the game. I mean, Wisconsin's actually shooting not too bad without App. The thing is, though, Hap gets fouled a lot, and he brings down the team free throw percentage. So. That I mean that that's rough. Uh, the shooting, uh, I mean, 
you also take a look in there too, Owen, the scoring drought, you know, nearly five, you know, yeah. five minutes, 10 seconds worth of no points. And which I mean, just really warms my heart. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it's not always easy basketball to watch and um, kind of to go back on half, like you're talking, it struggles with the free throw line the, within themselves are, are, are an issue. Right. But the problem is, the way the Badgers offense is set up. And I saw, I tweeted about this a few weeks ago and a couple other people brought it up again last night. The problem is the swing offense, the basis of it is that it's positionless. And you talk about it all the time and in years past, yeah, you know, you get Jordan Taylor and these guards posting up and a lot of guards don't know how to play post defense. So that's an advantage for the Badgers. However, when you've got someone like Ethan Happ, who you can't really, um, you, you kind of have to adjust the offense because the whole point of the swing is that at all five positions, all all five guys will get eat, like the ball at every spot, right? So in like teams like with Frank Kaminsky and guys like that, where you really had these big dudes that could stretch the floor, that's what really stresses the defense. Um, and when you've got a guy like Ethan Happ, who in himself is an extremely good basketball player, and he's well within his right to be in the the player of the year con- uh, conversation. And um, within that, though, the Badger offense will operate more smoothly next year um and it's it might not be like as as talented or you won't have that 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 potential all-american candidate but within like the construct of the offense and how it's meant to be run and how the badgers want to run it um it'll be a bit more traditional that way and it'll be a i don't know they'll be able to run the offense how they want to run it. And it's not like that Ethan Happ is like forcing them to run some different offense. But the the matter of the fact is, is that when the swing isn't allowed to have all five guys operate within the structure, it, it kind of bogs down and getting to my obviously long winded point here. When the offense struggles, they get the ball inside the Happ, right? Um, which is cool. Except then that it's when he gets fouled. Like the whole premise of him getting the ball inside is that, He's really good around the basket, and he's going to draw a lot of fouls, which is good when you make your free throws. He's not. So you're really kind of fighting uphill against yourself trying to get back into the ballgame. And you saw that at times he'll get hot, um, but going 0 for 6 when you are really you're down 2 to 3 before the game kind of gets out of hand in those last couple possessions, that's that's crucial. If he shoots 50%, they're right in it. So it's, um, you know, kind of you're you're killing yourself death by a thousand paper cuts that way because – your best way to get back into the game is the same way that you're struggling the yeah, most. At I mean, the time. it's going to be one of those things that, I mean, with this team and, and Hap is one of the most, he'll go down as one of the best players in, in program history, likely. And, and just the, everyone talks about the point guard as in, in a, you know, forwards body centers body at six ten, and he can do things with his footwork that are second to none in the country. And, and, but the thing is, oh, there are his Achilles heels and the two of them are, he, there's no outside shot or mid range shot for that matter. Uh, and there's all, then there's the free throws right now. Uh, and he's gotten progressively worse. Uh, you know, I thought he did a little bit better last year for three throws as a redshirt junior, but this year he's shooting around 44%, uh, just over that. So, uh, we'll see what the teams. And like, and they, and they mentioned that last night, Dan, they were talking about like all the different all American candidates and, you know, Dan Dockich is talking, he's like, he hasn't made a shot outside of the paint the entire year. That's insane. You've got these, you know, Zion Williamson shooting threes at 290 pounds and trying to break the rim. And you've got guys, you know, these super impressive Jay Morant from Murray States, the six, seven guard that can do everything. And, and the whole premise of their game is you can't focus on one thing because they're at least there maybe more so with Morant than Williamson, but you can't sell out on one thing. And that's what makes Hap so good and so remarkable is that defenses really can kind of sell out on him because even if you force um, force him to give the ball up and, and, and allow other teammates to succeed, you're at least keeping it out of his hands, right? But these other guys, like that's the whole point. What makes them so dangerous is that they're able to do multiple things. So uh, by no means here are we killing Ethan Hap. What he's done is in seemingly you know, inconceivable that – in the year 2019, you can be an All-American and potential player of the year candidate in the country, not only your own conference, but in the country, and you haven't made a shot outside of five feet. That's absolutely yeah. incredible. Yeah, I mean, it, it, um, yeah. But like we said, it goes into the, the issues right. with the yeah, offense. I mean, it's – and that will be, again, you know, we'll, we'll look at next year down the road, but uh, for now it's what the team is right now uh, with what they are. And they just didn't hit the shots well. And credit Michigan State too. 
Uh, we'll go on to football in just a few, uh, just a minute or so. But just to wrap it up, give Michigan State credit too. Uh, you know, Cassius Winston, uh, amazing game, uh, twenty three points, game high, six rebounds, six assists. Really played well uh, in my, I think maybe the second time I've seen him play, and it was just a you know, phenomenal just how he could go in transition, but also uh, pass the ball around. And great guard complimented him, calling him a consummate point guard after the game too. And he's just a really good player. And uh, you, I, you tip your cap to the defense there for for Michigan State, where they played the three point line tough, and Wisconsin just couldn't connect uh, even on the open shots they did receive really so uh again well and they, they they completely erased Demetric trice and brad davison which is like the whole concept of the the badgers offense playing well right now is that well you can't double team hap when everyone else shoots well um the problem is between winston and and um the mcquade kid i can't think of his first name they absolutely should i mean trice trice and davison combined for what i think seven points and three of them davison hit a three the second possession yeah, of the game that was 11 so, i mean points like that overall. was that's yeah, basically points all the, overall four of 18 yeah, that's, all the, that's all the production they got out of those guys um and and really I, like I said they completely shut down the badgers secondary or like counter punch so when you all you're doing is sitting on that jab it's a little right, easier yeah, to deal with 418 overall uh, from the field, a combined Trice and Davison, 11 combined points. Davison had two, Trice only, Davison had nine, Trice only had two, and they both, they shot a combined two of 10 from three point range. So, and you know, yeah. you know, I still, you know, and there are no moral victories here whatsoever. I will say they were within one possession for the good part of that game, uh, for the good part of the second half. And, you know, that shows even with a poor shooting team, this team can contend. It's just a matter of them getting over that hump offensively. Where in, in that five minute scoring drought, uh, if Hap, you know, and you'll see in the takeaways post, Hap had the, the free throws, you know, an opportunity to take the lead, and he bricked both free throws there, and that hurt them. And between that and the Michigan game, yeah, between that and the Michigan game, like you're right in the game, the whole game with two top 15 programs in the country in Michigan, arguably a top five program. And really they probably win the Michigan game. If uh, Charles Matthews doesn't go off, you know, so like they're right there. There's, this is by no means are we condemning the Badgers basketball season for the rest of the year or anything. It's just kind of frustrating to watch. And I'm sure it's much more frustrating for them to play the way it is right now, just because they need, um, you know, they're very, uh, they need that, that, synergy they need one to help the other the interdependency and right now they just don't have it and that's until it and, and basketball is a cyclical game and i'm sure it'll come back around but for the time being it's it's a bit of a beating your head into the wall situation yeah and well you know we'll go next week we'll talk more basketball next week i think uh when once we hear a little bit more about the spring football schedule from wisconsin we can start doing our position previews uh, as well, uh, probably start next week or the week after, I would say, because obviously we have a ton to talk about with those uh, positions. So, but uh, go heading into football for that matter, and and for you know the last thing on basketball, maybe I'll say they have a six day break now to kind of lick their wounds, kind of get back to classes, get things right, and they face Illinois coming up on uh, on Monday, so that'll be their next game, and then they go to Northwestern. Uh, that Saturday after. So for now, you know, uh, we'll see how great guards team responds. They have an opportunity, I think, to, to win out the rest of the year. Uh, it's going to be tough. I think they'll fall at least once just due to the nature of the big 10, but they could still wrap up a top four, top five seed, I think. And they, you know, to win the, the, the whole thing, the whole conference regular season title, I, a lot has to go right. And if you, Saw Jim Polzine's tweet earlier today. Make sure you check it out. A lot has to go right right now uh, after those two losses. But uh, this team, I think, still top tier in the conference. It's just a matter of putting things together overall. And uh, like you saw in the six-game winning streak. But going on to football, uh, with that, another big news. Uh, you guys saw it on Bucky's fifth quarter, and I'll touch on this real quick. You had uh, Dakota Dixon be named the 2018 Jason Witten Collegiate Man of the Year. Congratulations to Dakota. Super yeah, cool. Very cool there. Uh, and obviously well-deserved for his story uh, and just what he meant to the team. And, but you know, some also some other news earlier this week, John Dietzen left tackle left guard for Wisconsin announces that he left the game. He's going to retire essentially from football due to the quote unquote numerous injuries. And this is a player that fought back 
a lot of injuries, still played. Uh, to me, it reminds me of a Kyle Costigan uh, from 2014. And what, he, uh, you know, from I believe I've heard stories or there have been reports about how much he battled through. Uh, so, really, it's a, this is going to be a, you know, it, it's a tough loss for the line just because of the depth. I mean, this is one more player that really is not, you know, obviously uh, he was on a, you know, I guess you can call it a pitch count or a snap count. For, for, you know, how he was feeling and dealing with his multiple, you know, his, I don't know if it was multiple, but I know he was dealing with ailments uh, throughout the year. You could just tell. Uh, and, and you saw that's like multiple throughout his yeah, career. Yeah, 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 exactly. And so there, you know, Cole Van Landen took over, you know, at left tackle a lot. And I think he's prepped for that year. Uh, you know, best wishes to John. He was always, you know, always great to talk to for, for media wise. And also, I always remember that mullet from the 2015 season. Uh, no, it was a 2000, no, 2016 season. I'm sorry. Yes. Yep. 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 Uh, yep. But, um, but yeah, so it, it's one of those things too, where, where Dietzen, he's just a big guy and, and you and I um, can kind of speak to this being in the, the media availability room and stuff. You're, we're around a lot of big players, obviously. Um, but I know Dietzen was always one and he slimmed down a bit this year. I think he said he was around like 325 or 320, but he's just a large human being. Um, and, and the matter of fact is, being that size um, over an extended period of time, putting the amount of stress on your body that you do, um, you're always running the risk of, of injury. And I know that he's a guy that, as I mentioned, he's he's battled foot uh, injuries, um, ankles, knees, hips, about anything you can ask for in the lower body. Um, I know Dietzen has had issues with. And when you're that size, I know two years ago he was listed at like 6'6", 336. That's, he's a huge dude. Um, you know, by many accounts, we've seen players tell, you know, he's the strongest guy on the team. Um, and I know David Edwards mentioned that he's the toughest guy he's ever played with. So certainly a guy with a lot of respect within the locker room. Um, it sucks that you see him, uh, end his career this way. Dan Volts a couple years ago, uh, Walker Williams, Ray Ball, all guys fairly recently that weren't able to Jake Maxwell, all guys that weren't able to finish their careers due to injury. And, and you hate to see that, but Unfortunately, it's it's a bit of the um, the nature of the beast playing offensive line and, and being that size with the wear and tear you have. So um, at that same point, really bears some credence and, and shows how impressive it was that guys like Michael Dieter and Bo Benshaw, uh, Dieter with 54 starts and, and Benshaw with 49 over their careers, how how durable they were, because it really is, um, you know, those guys are in a, a three hour long car wreck every weekend. So uh, the way that they're able to to keep going and keep their bodies well, a bit of it's luck, uh, but a lot of it is, is is the preparation they put in and stuff. So uh, a testament to those guys' durability, but at the same time kind of um, peels back the curtain a little bit uh, as to, you know, some of the guys, some of the stuff that these guys are dealing with on a week-to-week basis that, you know, you don't always hear about or see on TV. Yeah, that kind of leads us into our first question, uh, mailbag question. We're going to have a second mailbag question to end the show. After we play our interview with Cooper Nelson, the 2019 walk-on signing for the Wisconsin Badgers, one of the seven official uh, that were on the National Signing Day page. But going back to the mailbag question about regarding Dietz and the offensive line, you know, the, the basically Morgan, uh, thanks for him for submitting the question and basically asking, you know, the reason to, that he decided to retire and how that'll impact, how will it impact the young linemen that can't, come in this year and that's you talk about this year you're talking about logan brown the five-star offensive lineman and then also four-star offensive lineman from indiana joe Tipman. and i mean i think you and i can go back and forth on this owen uh, with owen with logan brown obviously there's a lot of hype regarding him one of the highest rated ever to commit to wisconsin uh, next to josh oglesby another offensive lineman uh, a kid that Really already looks the part, Part you know, 6'6", six, 6'7". Six, six, I know he's listed at 285, but I thought, if I'm not mistaken, from... He waited at 307 at the, at All-Amer- the All-Star game. Yeah, at the All-American Bowl uh, from, what I think it was 24-7 Sports that had reported that. Uh, you know, so, I mean, he already has that Wisconsin lineman body. It's going to be a matter, I think, the strength and conditioning during the fall or during the summer conditioning aspect will take a huge... Uh, it will be a huge impact if he can add a little strength onto there. But uh, yeah, I think it I think it influences more Brown than Titman at the moment. But yeah, maybe because that's because of the hype. Uh, but it's also because of the position with left tackle. Uh, how who figures in now that Deason 
we I think you and I both assumed he's going to slide back into left guard. It wasn't confirmed, but I thought we he would move back into left guard, a la Michael Dieter did for this past season when he was out of left tackle, and that would allow Van Lannan to get those reps. But I think it obviously one more person down that can play both tackle and guard that does open up some ability for Brown possibly if he can pick up the offense relatively quickly to get into the two deep. I don't think he starts uh, unless something happens to the offensive line where uh, you have, you know, Van Lannan or a guy like Logan Brusco down. And then, you know, there's a, a guy like David Mormon who's going to be a redshirt senior, but also a guy, you know, a guy like, oh gosh, who's the other right tackle? Or the guy that's asking about right tackle. Uh, there's Bruss and then Tyler Beach. I'm sorry. There we go. Uh, from Port Washington. I think he could be, you know, those, that could be, a top four, you know, the four top tackles. We'll see if Brown can break into that. He's not enrolling early. He's not a mid-year enrollee. So I'm not necessarily, uh, yeah, I think, uh, you know, it's hard to gauge how much someone can pick up so quickly. Like if someone's a Jonathan Taylor, that's huge. Or a Danny Davis who picked it up his first year back, you know, how those two picked it up in 2017. But uh, I'd like your thoughts on it, uh, you know, but I, I, to me, it's it's always hard, and I think you may, may agree with this. When you don't see them in pads, or when you don't see them in pads or practicing, it's hard to talk about where you could see them in the depth chart right now. Uh, but I think he's got a chance. It's just a matter of how he reacts and conditioning in the summer, and then how he progresses with the knowledge of the playbook during fall camp. So to be honest, I don't think that John Dietzen's injury has much to do with Logan Brown at all. Um, I think that anything that he's able to pick up would, like I said, this is completely speculation on my part, but I would venture to say somewhat educated speculation that um, with how Cole Van Lannan played last year. And I guess now if, if the point was that John Dietzen was hurt and that was the reason for the most part that like they obviously wanted Van Lannan on the field, but if he was hurt and that's part of why they were rotating, then maybe that makes some more sense. And maybe that I'm kind of off here as far as him moving back to guard. But my thoughts are, um, They've got so I talked about this a bit yesterday. So with Dietzen gone, um, the Badgers have like six interior linemen on scholarship, which is not a lot, um, especially considering Caden Lyles just came back. I think if we're talking about the guys that are coming in, um, I don't think it really impacts anybody. The person I might venture to think that it may impact would be Joe Titman, and here's why. So Logan Brown and Joe Titman are both listed as tackles. In 2020, Jack Nelson and Trey Wedig are both listed as tackles. I can tell you right now that at some point, those four will probably be four of the top five offensive linemen at UW while they're on campus. At that point, you can't play all four of them at offensive tackle. So theoretically, two of them are looking probably to bump inside at some point, and Logan Brown's not going to be one of them, and I doubt that Trey Wedig is probably going to. So at that point, you're looking at Joe Tittman and theoretically Jack Nelson. So I guess that leads to my point with Joe Tittman. If he's able to pick up guard, I think that that would impact him much more than than Brown because at least, and like I said, this is a lot of speculation, I guess, but Cole Van Lannan and Logan Bruss, I would say, are pretty safe to pencil in, at least at this point, as your starting tackles. Um, Tyler Beach is there. Michael Fertney is there. Those are guys that uh, that that have been brought in fairly recently that should have a chance to compete to be on the two deep. Uh, I think Logan Brown's like physical gifts can certainly – be a catalyst in that and he could be like an unaccounted for element I suppose but I really don't see many situations where they want him to play more than the four games that they're allowed to simply because they have enough bodies at the tackle position which is where it kind of leads inside the inside stuff where as of right now they don't have a lot of experience so um I think that that would probably impact Titman more to be honest if he if his future could be potentially at inside anyways that's Probably like as of right now at guard, there's four guards that I would say that are like listed on the roster and three of them I'm for sure about the other one. I'm not even sure because they just list them as no lineman on the roster and we've never seen him play in a game yet. So Jason Erdman, David Mormon and Josh Seltzner to me are the three guards right now that are that are like. I'm sure Caden Lyles will fit into this at some point, but we're not there yet. So where I'm at right now is what, you know, right? Mm -hmm. So Jason Erdman has played guard and center in the past. So he's clearly clearly not going to play center with Tyler Biotish there. So that's that's one guard. Caden Lyles is listed as a center or has been. He's clearly not going to play center with Tyler Biotish at center. So the like the 
however you want to deduct that, Caden Lyles probably moves back to guard um, at a certain point. He's probably still your backup center, which is a super cool luxury to have that Erdman, Biotish, and Lyles have all played center before. So, like, that's a, a, a huge feather in the cap to have as far as if anyone were to go down if Biotish was to get hurt. Okay, But at this point, you've only got three guys that have, like, been on the two deep that are at guard right now. Um, and that's Erdman, Mormon, and Seltzner. The fourth guy I have listed at guard on my my roster breakdown is Alex Fenton, simply because there's way more bodies at tackle than guard. I have no there's I, I have no proof here that he actually plays guard, but it makes sense to me that they would have more than three guards on the roster and not have like nine offensive tackles. So just again, this is a lot of me kind of putting the dots together here that may or may not be there, right? So I guess. Long answer short to your question, I think Joe Tittman probably gets impacted more because I think, and this is a lot of projection, I think Joe Tittman probably ends up inside at some point. Um, so at that point, he might be a guy that gets on the field a bit quicker because if you theoretically have Erdman and Lyles as your guards with Mormon and Seltzner behind them, um, in which one of those three uh, presumably also plays center, um, or if 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 Biotish were to get hurt, Lyles or Erdman move to center and another guard pops in. Um, I think that's probably where Joe Tittman can all of a sudden scratch that too deep or be very close, um, more so than than climbing over Van Lannan and Bruss and Beach and Michael Furtney and Logan Brown um, in that aspect. So again, like I said, this is a lot of me putting the, the dots together. Um, but I, to me, I guess my personal opinion or, or how I kind of see things working out within the next year or so, um, I don't think it really impacts Logan Brown. I understand the hype and I don't, um, I don't fault anyone for, for thinking that, but, um, I guess to me, whether or not John Deetson's on the roster or not probably didn't impact the tackle situation a ton. I could be completely off, but just kind of where, where we were at. I think that's I think the only reason why I was thinking that was just due to the fact that he could swing back out. Let's say, you know, Erdman takes over that. I mean, with Dietz and like, and maybe this goes into, I mean, we've already talked about what, what this means for the offensive line going forward. And you kind of, you laid it out already. So we don't even have to cover that subtopic because you talked about the rotating guards where Caden Lyles is coming back. You have Jason Erdman who back, can play all the interior line positions. And then you have, uh, Josh Seltzner, who received meaningful reps during fall camp as well in that fact. So, but, you know, so you have those guys and David Mormon, who on the depth chart for the 2018 pinstripe bowl was listed as number two left guard behind Michael Dieter, even though I think urban would be the one to take it over. So and, you have those guys and Mormons, you know, and so senior. I think that's something too, that we kind of talked about a bit um, a couple of weeks ago, but like he's going to get every chance. Um, he's above, you know, I, there's, or at least there to, to be a, to be a, a, a swing guy in the inside. Right. Um, Caden Lyles, right. I recruit and I know the, I, him going over to the defensive line is a huge take one for the team thing. Um, because I don't think many people, I mean, obviously like in the moment, the coach would have been like, really, you can't do that. But like, from looking away from a hundred feet away, like I don't think many people would have blamed a four star offensive lineman for being like, no, I really don't want to play D line. Um, so I think that's a big, big uh, take one for the team thing for him. And I, I think that uh, I know coach Chris has talked glowingly about him um, regarding that situation as well as him as a player in general. So just again, me re- trying to read, read the, between the lines here a bit, which I know can be a bit tough with Chris. I would be surprised if Caden Lyles isn't like getting time at the very least. Um, so then just simply if you're, if you're playing the body game, I think that more Mormon is probably in Seltzner or the, the backup guards, but, but both um, have, have, I guess worked their way into this, but it's a, a bit of an odd piece, but like Mormon being an older guy, I think certainly plays in his favor. He's, been around Rudolph for a long time. He's played multiple. I think he came in as a tackle and now he's been moved inside. I don't know if he's, if he's gotten much reps at center, but um, having those like types of guys like Micah Kapoy, I think could probably be a good role for David Mormon this year. A guy that hasn't played a ton, but has been around for a while. And um, I know Joe Rudolph has always talked about, he's going to get his five best offensive linemen on the field, but having that versatility, I think it, it means a lot as well. And you saw that with Kapoy. And I think that 
Mormon could be in a similar situation there being a fifth year guy that's just been around right. a lot of football. Yeah, and I mean, the only reason why I thought might maybe Brown was that because Dietzen could play left tackle. And I mean, I, I know I segued with it where I thought Dietzen would be in at left guard and then Erdman would be at right guard. But now I feel like, and we'll get into our projections, but that's why I thought Brown maybe would have a shot because if now, let's say, Mormon can slide in left guard, then that opens up a, the fourth tackle spot and maybe that is brown at the um, you know behind van lannon so i like i said it, you know it, maybe that comes to that's why i was thinking it may impact brown more but maybe even tyler beach could be a swing tackle that could play both sides too and like I said, this is all speculation right we'll right. we'll know more once we watch more spring ball so it's a, it's an interesting conundrum to, to, just to see how this line is going to be it's going to be a completely outside of biotish and, and van lannon and bruss i mean it's going to be new Yep. Uh, you know, or I mean, or in terms of starters, technically, Erdman has played a lot. Russ has played played a lot last year. Is not just a right tackle. He got left tackle time at Northwestern, but he also, you know, was a jumbo tight end, basically a pseudo tight end in their jumbo package alongside Erdman. So those two got a ton of looks there. And then Van Lannen took a lot of snaps off of Deetson's back uh, and hip and ankles and and whatnot last season too. So he's ready. So I think, I mean, it, and someone was, t- you know, tweeted at me saying, you know, ping me in a conversation where uh, Bill Conley had rated Wisconsin. I think the, I think it was like the top five offense in the conference. Or maybe I mean, it might've been nation. I haven't had a chance to look at it, but uh, at Bill Conley stuff for his S and P plus rankings. But, you know, someone was complaining like, Oh, they're, re- you know, Wisconsin's, re- they're just returning one, one starting offensive lineman and they're still this it's like it's technically these these players will be getting more reps so we'll see how that changes their type of game but there's a lot more experience than i think people get uh that people know heading into this season and and it's the thing is though the two deep is going to be drastically changing and i think that's where you and i'll go next before we get to the interview with cooper nelson the sun prairie wide receiver that committed as a walk-on and signed with wisconsin as part of the 2019 class Uh, i'll have you go first what are your way too early predictions for the o-line two deep for next fall let's start with left tackle well, okay, before I go way too early here, I, I don't mean to, to bounce back, but that's what I, I mentioned this a couple of weeks ago, but that's a huge point I have is that for so long that Michael Dieter and Bo Benshaw and David Edwards themselves, but along with like Micah Capoy and those other guys, there's been a ton of familiar faces for a long time. And with Cole Van Lannen and Biotish and now Bruss and Erdman, those are basically every lineman that's gotten a rep over the past couple of years, give or take, there's been a couple here and there, but for the most part, probably 99% of the reps that the O-line has gotten in games the past three years has been Cole Van Lannen, John Dietzen, Jason Erdman, Michael Dieter, Bo Benshaw, Tyler Biotish, David Edwards, right? So like most of those guys are gone. If you count, uh, for the sake of this, we'll count Dietzen going into the draft and retiring, right? Because it's about the same thing. They're not coming back. So you're losing four of your starters that are all three or at least two and a half year starters. That's a ton. Between Benshaw and Dieter, both, that's over 100 games. Dietzen started for two and a half years. Uh, David Edwards started for two and a half years. That's like. 18 years of starting experience. No, that's a lie. 13 years of starting experience. Um, That's just a lot of football that's been played. So moving forward to that, like because those guys have been on the field, other dudes have just been like being brought in. They're just sitting there and they're, they're waiting in the wings. That doesn't mean they're not good football players. doesn't mean they're not talented. That doesn't mean they're not like ready to go. Um, Which I mean, obviously we don't know some of that, but like that's part of the deal is that the, Chris didn't like the depth that was at O-line when he got here. So when he got back, that was the whole priority was to build up the O-line. And this group that's leaving has basically been there the whole time he's been there. So every effort that they've made into building the offensive line is now going to come forth this year because those guys are gone. Does that make sense? So like that's a big – I didn't want to completely sidebar off of here, but the whole point is that like – this offensive line could very well still be a high rated offensive line just because they weren't playing doesn't mean they're like not good. They were just sitting behind very good players. 
Um, Dieter will be picked probably in the, in the top 100 picks. Ben Shaw's probably somewhere around there, the fourth, fifth round. Tyler Biotish is probably a top 50 selection next year's draft, which I would anticipate he would leave. Um, and, and John Dietzen's probably a guy that's an undrafted free agent just due to his injury history and, and other traits. But I mean, there's four professional oh. level offensive linemen leaving. Well, David Edwards so, like, too. it's not remember, like remember David Edwards as well, where depending upon what happens, absolutely. Where, where, I mean, right. So where like, would he go, by the way? It's a lot of guys. I remember, I remember Mike, what was that? Where would he go by the way? Probably. Okay. So my hot, this might be a hot take. I think David Edwards is going to be picked in the first round because I think he's going to athletically test extremely well. Um, I have yet to do a formal uh, evaluation of Edwards, but my spit take would probably be that he's not a top 50 player in this class. I think he has the potential to be, but I think he still has a lot of things that he still really needs to work on. I know he played hurt a majority of this year, so I'm not going to bag on him for that. I just think that he's probably a bit more raw than people would like to admit. Um, and I think he's going to test really well. I think he's a candidate to like run under a five one, um, which will be very enticing. And I think he'll get drafted probably higher than he maybe should based off his athletic testing. So I, I'm going to go there. I'm going to say he's, Probably somewhere between like twenty and thirty-five. I would I would imagine that he'll come off the board there. Um, but I guess back to my point though is that for so long, and I remember Michael Dieter. They talked about him when he was redshirting, um, which was Melvin Gordon's final year in Madison. God, I'm old. But Michael Dieter's point was they're like, yeah, he would probably start on multiple teams in the Big Ten. He's just simply redshirting because he's not good enough to beat one of the five guys. On Wisconsin's O-line, that's not necessarily an indictment of the player behind them. It's an endorsement of the person in front of them. So I guess to get back back to my point here is that these dudes that are all having this opportunity now have sat behind guys, not because they're not talented or because they're they're not able to, to do it, but because they've been behind like NFL dude. So um, I, I, I understand the skepticism there, but like I wouldn't be surprised at all if this offensive line doesn't miss a ton as far as like productivity as a unit. It might not be as NFL talented this upcoming season as the years in the past, but like, I guess that would be a misguided, at least thought process to me is that like, well, they're losing a bunch of guys. How are they still supposed to be good? Like, it's not like the guys behind them are bad. It's just because the guys that have been playing have been really good. So anyways, to, to segue off of that, my very, way, way too early, too deep, I would go probably something like this would be. Left tackle, Cole Van Lannen, number one. Tyler Beach, number two. Or Mike, eh, I'll take that back. Michael Fertney, number two. Left guard, Caden Lyles, number one. David Mormon, number two. Center, Tyler Biotish, number one. And then the only other center on the roster is Blake Smithback, who's a walk-on. So I would probably venture to say that Erdman and Lyles will both split those second reps. Yep. Um, theoretically, maybe Mormon works his way in. Maybe Seltzner does. Who knows? At right guard, I would put Jason Erdman and Josh Seltzner at a one and two there. And then at right tackle, I would have Logan Bruss and Tyler Beach. Um, I still, I'm still operating under the assumption, I mentioned this the other week, that Alex Hornibrook is still going to be the starting quarterback until I know otherwise. That's just how I'm going to assume um, or to try to kind of put things together here. So, and we saw this with David Edwards being much more athletic than, than Van Lannan and Dietzen is that the blind side protector for the left-handed quarterback is the right tackle. And Logan Bruss is probably the best athlete, maybe sans Logan Brown on the offensive line coming in. So that's where they're going to put their guy. And that's where he played last year. He replaced David Edwards and he played pretty well. So the right guard is the, the, Everyone, obviously, on the offensive line for Wisconsin is a primary run blocker. But, like, your premier pass blocking or premier athlete tackle will be the right tackle as opposed to it is on the left in normal offenses when your quarterback throws with the the correct hand. So, at that point, so I would probably put the, the, the starters are, are Van Lannan, Erdman, or excuse me, Van Lannan, Lyles, Biotish, Erdman, Bruss, and then the back line being some conglomerate of Michael Fertney, um, Josh Seltzner, David Mormon, um, and then Tyler Beach with, like I said, probably the second center being either Erdman or, or Lyles, whoever. In the case that Biotish would get hurt, one would move there, and the other guard, either Mormon or Seltzner, would likely bump up into that other spot. But that's kind of how I see it right now. Gotcha. So I'm going to let you talk. I just 
like 35 minutes. So I'm going to let you talk and we're going to, we're going to have it. No worries. Uh, I'd say left tackle uh, Van Lannan right now. I'd say Mormon uh, as the, maybe the number two uh, reason being, I remember when Joe Rudolph talked after we all thought that Van Lannan wouldn't play in the Rutgers game due to the fact that uh, he was listed as out for that game. And Bruss had taken over, you know, some snaps in that Northwestern game, the game prior. And he had mentioned there was going to be a competition there too, where he thought Tyler Beach and David Mormon were there for the net, you know, for kind of battling for reps there could battle for the competition. So they thought that left tackle was going to be good in terms of spelling John Dietz. And so uh, I think Mormon could be there uh, left guard. Yeah. I think you and I have our guards flip. I think it could either be Lyles or Erdman. Uh, I'm saying Erdman just because, uh, I know that he's backed up. He he's done stuff with Dieter on that extent where, you know, learning the plays where you see the, there's an article by Jeff Patricus during the season talking about how urban had to prepare, not just for the jumbo line. I think it was right after the Iowa game, uh, but just talking about how he had to learn tight end and then center. And then also uh, Mike, Michael Dieter's left guard spot. So for now I'll put urban in there. Also, Let's talk about the real hardship he had that week, trying to switch between jerseys. Yes. If he was number 78, he had to go in to play O-line and having to wear 96. Those jerseys are not no, loose not. from personal experience. <laughs> I can tell you that Jason Erdman would not be able to get them on and off with his pads on. So let's talk about the real hardship that he faced here, having to switch between jerseys. Those jerseys are not flattering to your figure, and they are not loose. And it's a hard time to switch jerseys. I give him a lot of credit because that's a lot. Hashtag, so that's a lot of <laughs> <laughs> Hashtag O-line problems, Hashtag folks. O-line problems. Big um, time. As someone that had a backup running back put my jersey on at Carroll for four straight years because I could not do it, respect to Jason Erdman. Yeah, I was going to say, so I think Erdman gets that. Uh, Mormon, you know, he like I said, he was listed as the number two left guard during the pinstripe bowl game notes. So I think there's our I'm, – I'm wondering uh, – is Fertney a guard? Is he a tackle? Uh, I, I want to see more of him during spring ball. I think that'll be something to watch there. Uh, depending on- 100% be a guy that bumps in because like I was talking about, they just simply don't have the numbers inside that you'd think. I have Alex Fenton in there in my spreadsheet. That doesn't mean anything. That could very well be Michael Fertney uh, and my two deep could be completely toast right, um, right now. But that's I, 100%. Fertney and, and Alex Fenton, who is like that, Fenton was brought in the same class. He and Caden Lyles and Logan Bruss and Tyler Beach and then walk-ons Josh Seltzner and Blake Smith back are all um, redshirt sophomore offensive linemen. And those guys are kind of a, a bit of a mystery at this point, at least with Fenton, because he hasn't broken in anywhere. So I guess we really don't know outside of reps um, where, where he's going to be at. So between him and, and Fertney redshirting last year, those are like the two for sure wild cards that, um, could end up at either spot, really. Yeah, and and I got Biadish and Erdman, first team, second team for center. Lyles and Seltzner, first team, second team for right guard. And then also uh, right tackle, Logan Bruss, and I got Tyler Beach uh, at, at left tackle. Though I think I think Beach could be a guy that swings uh, just based off of that Rudolph conversation that uh, he told reporters back in like late October there. so And we'll see where Logan Brown ends up. I think he could very well be – a player that, you know, like I think if he progresses to that point, maybe he is one of those tackles that depend upon where Mormon sits and, and if there's injury. And obviously there could be injuries, and there's always going to be injuries on that line at some point. So having that versatility for a guy like Mormon could bump inside and take some reps there. Maybe that opens up the door for someone like a Logan Brown. But we'll see. Uh, the other thing to remember too here, it's two different things. One, it – they could very well have Logan Brown listed in the two deep and that doesn't like burn his red shirt or anything. Um, so that could be something where they have like offensive tackle uh, or like left tackle, Cole Van Lannan, uh, whoever, Michael Fertney for the sake of this or David Mormon or whoever. And then like the second spot be or Logan Brown. And that would be something where like, that's a, a an indication of how they feel about him, but they're like still not willing to like burn that red shirt unless they absolutely have to. So that's one thing. And then two, the other thing, like I mentioned about earlier, I'm extremely curious to see how they allocate the players among the positions coming up here. Because like I said, they've got four, four star or better offensive tackles coming in this class and next class. So like, I wonder if they start to funnel dudes inside. Like they don't know, like Fertney and Fenton both end up inside. Cause they're like, we need to, I mean, these, 
I know that's that's not like the intent, but I think the the blueprint will kind of show itself at a certain point because like they know the guys that they've got committed, they have an idea. You know, I mean, there's obviously no guarantee that like certain guys are going to end up in certain spots, but like it'll be interesting to see if they keep Tipman at tackle or if they move him to guard, knowing that they have two more tackles coming in. And like obviously, again, you like you don't red you don't recruit these dudes to be like, well, I'm recruiting Trey Wedding to only play right tackle because that's what he's got to play because he was a high four star recruit. But like you can certainly start to get an idea of where they're thinking about dudes at because you don't recruit four four-star plus tackles to only play tackle and only play two of them at the same time. Yeah, no, it's... Unless they bring one of the interior guys, like, at a certain point, you've only, like, you've got five guys to play, and you're gonna, you've got to play your best five, and Rudolph's talked about that. So, like, unless you plan on rotating both of your tackles throughout the game, and, like, I, it's, I'm, like I said, there's a lot of speculation, there's a lot of, of, of probably seven, you know, seven dimensions too far into this. But like at a certain point, I think you'll start to see where the depth chart and where the allocation of players along the offensive line will go, um, which will somewhat give you some type of indication on how they feel about these guys or where they plan on on playing them. Like I said, we don't know anything about Joe Tippman yet. He has great hair. Um, but other than that, like he's not, um, he hasn't played anywhere. And like I said, this is simply me like trying to connect dots that, Logan Brown didn't get recruited to play guard. And like I said, with Jack Nelson and Trey Wedding both being four-star guys, one of those guys is likely going to either get bumped inside or, or they, they really plan on on loading up here on tackles because at a certain point, um, like I said, you've only got five O-linemen that can really play at, at, at once at least. And if you've got four, your four best guys or four guys that are really highly regarded at tackle, two of them have got to move somewhere else. Otherwise, you're only playing two of them. So it's... Like I said, this isn't a, this is looking way too much into this, but at the same point, it'll give you some type of look as to how they feel about these guys or where they want them, because you get, like I said, you get your five best out there. So, and that's why they moved Michael Dieter to left tackle two years ago because they really wanted to get um, Biotish into the lineup, and that's at a, like it, it, you kind of start to see how they feel about guys based on where they're prioritized their playing time and how they get them in. So that wasn't a a knock on. Cole Van Landen that he wasn't playing left tackle or whatever. It was a, we think Tyler Biotish is really, really good. And sorry, Mike, but we're going to move you because we know you can play elsewhere. Like, and that's a, um, like I said, much more of an endorsement to Tyler Biotish than it is to an indictment to anyone else. So at that same point, like we'll kind of start to see how the, the chess pieces fall into place here, but um, I don't know. It'll be fun. Let's see. Yeah, exactly. And on that note, um, like I said, we'll, we'll and we're going to break down more. I think we maybe almost did our 2019 way too early spring preview for the offensive line, but we'll we'll come back to that in a couple of weeks once we figure out the schedule for for spring ball here on Bucky's fifth podcast. But when we come break, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, 2019 Wisconsin walk-on signee Cooper Nelson joins the show to discuss his commitment and just how close he came to joining a rival school. Uh, just sit back, uh, listen to the break, and we'll be back in just a couple. And we're back here on Bucky's fifth podcast. Jay Kokorowski here. And joining us, one of the newest members of the class of 2019, officially signed on his way to Madison coming up in the summer. Got Cooper Nelson here. Cooper, how does it feel to have everything done and be a Badger? It's pretty exciting. I, I don't know how to explain it, but can't wait and can't get I'm excited to get started. And, you know, the fun part about this, and we talked a little earlier, just what goes into accepting that walk-on offer? And, you know, uh, for, for those for the podcast, when did you receive it? And and just what went into the process of, of you know, realizing you wanted to play at Wisconsin? Yep. So I received it back in November. And then when I decided I want to be there before that it was a lot of research into all those schools and my top three being Minnesota, Iowa state and Wisconsin. So I really did some in-depth research there as, as long as the football program and overall academics, because that's what comes first. And I just couldn't pass up on Wisconsin because it had the best of both worlds. So that's, that's where the best fit was for me. And so, you know, of, of course you're, you're the son of former Wisconsin safety, Scott Nelson, who uh, played, you know, uh, obviously uh, in the, late or early or say in the early 1990s what you know how did he help you out uh you know how did the family help you out in this process in terms of just 
picking which schools and the interest that you had, uh, but what, yeah, how did they help you? You know, how did he help you, but how did your family also help you throughout this entire process? Yep. They, they were all very open and said, wherever you want to go, we're going to support you no matter where that is. But overall, my dad, especially he being like a college athlete and he's been through the process, but he was more surprised about how it's changed, but he was just there to help me. And he really talked through it all with me. And what about if this happens? What about if that? And so overall, he was just there and he was a great rock for me, I guess, to fall back on. And he was just there for me. So I can't thank him enough for that. And you're, you're from nearby Sun Prairie, uh, which is about 20, 25 minutes away from, from campus. Uh, I have friends that live in Sun Prairie, great area, great high school for that matter. How did, you know, playing it, playing for Sun Prairie high school, how did it help you prepare for this level? Yeah, it's, it's been a blast. I can't thank Sun Prairie and their community enough for that, but we have a great coach and coaching staff and we learn a lot of the stuff. So, and the coaches from Wisconsin really teach the same stuff. So overall that's been great. And then your teammates, obviously they, they push you to be your best. So I can't thank them enough. And overall with this past summer we had with that explosion in Sun Prairie, that really brought the community together and showed the support we have for one another. So that was pretty cool. And, you know, when it, um, just playing in, in, in just, we talked about it a little bit earlier, but uh, before recording the podcast, but when it comes to just, you know, you tell the coaches how, uh, and how did the process of, of you committing start and, and, you know, the discussions with the family and then telling the coaches, uh, if you could just, uh, how did that all break down and how did you make your decision and what were the coaches responses? Yep. So I was, I think it was my last final of first semester. I texted my parents and after that I was done taking it and said, I'm ready to be a Badger. I want to, I can't wait to get started. And they just kind of both didn't respond for a little bit. So I was getting a little bit worried. <laughs> then I went to, I went to basketball practice and came home and we sat down and talked about it. And then I think the 30th of January, we, we had school called off and my mom also had off of work. So we really sat down and talked about the pros and cons. And then the next morning after I slept on my decision, I, I liked it and I wanted to get started. So I called Wisconsin and, told them I'd like to be a Badger. And, I, you know, you mentioned some of your finalists, you know, Iowa State and Minnesota Brothers. Just for the Wisconsin fans out there, how close were you to, to becoming a gopher in your opinion? So, well, I was I was about to be a gopher, and then when I, I talked about it, I'd say I was about to be a gopher probably early December that they offered up preferred walk-on, and then Wisconsin really started to hit me harder then, and, it was just an opportunity I couldn't pass up after sitting on it and sleeping on it for a while. And it's just a lot of thought, but overall as a Wisconsin kid, this was just a great opportunity and it felt like home quite honestly. And uh, when it, I, I guess that just going forward, you know, where are they looking for you to play at the position? I mean, you came, they, they announced you as a wide receiver. You were in first team, all state uh, wide out by the AP and the WFCA you're a finalist for the Altoon award for the state's top senior wide receiver. Uh, the accolades go on, uh, on and on. You caught 13 touchdown passes as a senior alone, uh, in 2018, but uh, are they still looking at you up to play wide receiver and uh, at least to come coming in and, and what do you think you can bring to that position group? Yep. Yep. Still looking for me to be a wide receiver and that's why I'm coming in as an overall. I just, I'm just hoping to bring a, some competitiveness and use my length to my advantage and just go out there and compete with all the guys and be hard working with them and just create a great bond with them and make each other better on and off the field. All right. Now we'll have a little bit more lighter questions for you. We always do this with, with some of the new commits, the new signees. Uh, we've done this with Graham. Uh, did we do? Yeah, we did this with Graham Mertz with Hayden Rucci before. So we'll have a little bit of fun. Just some quick hitters real quick. My first question in this segment, Cooper, Favorite workout music? Oh, huh. I'd probably say I put on the top hits on the radio and just let that play. Gotcha. Gotcha. I, someone, I think Leo Chanel mentioned that he does like classical music or whatnot, which I found interesting. So that's, uh, that's always fun. To, I always love me, you know, picking brains just to see what I can put in my playlist as well. Yeah. You, you mentioned with your, you know, you, you play multiple sports, you're, you lettered in baseball, basketball track, and just overall for the fans, just 
for their knowledge on this, just what does being a multi-sport athlete do for you uh, overall uh, for the game of football and how it helps you improve on the field? Yeah. Well, for me, I think it allows my body to be used in different ways and then learn how to use my body in those ways, which overall helps me on the field in football. And then it just gives me another chance to go out and compete. And that's what I love to do. So that's why I choose to do all those sports. I know that, you know, we've talked about it earlier, your dad, you know, you guys have had season tickets for a while growing up in around Madison, around Wisconsin. What's your favorite memory as a bat, uh, you know, growing up uh, from a Wisconsin perspective? Yeah. Well, I think it was, I'd say when Russell Wilson said he wanted to be a Badger kind of watched, watched his highlights. And I was like, he looks pretty good, but I really wanted to see him in a game and, we were able to use our season tickets and we went to, I believe it was when Nebraska came to Camp Randall and it was, I think their first time playing each other. And we just came out and destroyed them and it was awesome. I think college game day was there. and That's why I was like, holy Kyle Russell Wilson's actually the real deal. Yeah. I remember that season quite well. Uh, Cooper, my last question for you here on Bucky Smith podcast, what's your vert and how hard can you dunk a basketball since you are a basketball player? Uh, my vert's probably about a 33, 34. And I like to say I can dunk it pretty hard, but my dad always says, oh, you can put it down harder. <laughs> See, I'm jealous. I am jealous of that. I'll be honest with you. Me being 5'10 five, <laughs> five, on my good leg uh, on that note. But uh, Cooper, I really appreciate your time, man, jumping on the podcast. Congratulations and looking forward to covering you down the road uh, when you get here in the summer and in, into fall camp. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. Guys, that's Cooper Nelson, 2019 signee, wide receiver, walk-on for the Wisconsin Badgers. We're going to take a quick break, come back, wrap up the show here on Bucky's Fifth Podcast. Thanks for coming back, folks, to Bucky's Fifth Podcast. Jake Okorowski, Owen Reese, here on this Wednesday evening. We'll get this up later tonight. And you guys will hear about here or this coming up uh, for the week. And we thank you guys for listening to us. We'll tell you more about where to follow us at the end of the show, but we want to do a quick mailbag. We already answered one question. A big thanks again to Morgan for asking earlier, which was perfect because we were going to discuss the topic of John Deason retiring. But the next one uh, from at super crawl, K R A L. Do we know if Kyle Penniston might uh, decided to stay at UW and are there any scoops on position changes prior to spring ball? So first off, thank you, sir, for asking a question there, two questions, which makes our mailbag even better. Uh, technically let's, you know, with a, when you have the transfer portal, now that's the one thing that's been you know, described where they could always come back to the school. However, you know, when I asked, a UW official about this to confirm he was in the transfer portal, but also if he was, st- if he had left the program, he said, that is, con- that is true. That is correct. When I had asked, it wasn't just if he was in the transfer portal, it was, has he left the program? And, and the UW official confirmed that with me. And so we put it in, uh, in that article that we had a couple weeks back. Technically he still could. Uh, we'll see what happens with that. Uh, and like I said, we don't know where he's going. I mean, if you take a look at, I was looking at even his, I mean, right now, not stalling for time or anything, but Owen, I'm looking at his Cal's Twitter right now. It says University of Wisconsin on there still. So he's, you know, he has not made, he has not publicly made a decision at all from what we know. And so, I mean, technically he could come back. I don't know if, I don't think he will. Um, but then to the second question, any scoops on position changes prior to spring ball? I think the big one that we know, is Caden Lyles to back to the offensive line. That was confirmed back in December. I, unless you didn't know anything, I haven't heard any other scoops or any other tidbits about position changes yet. I don't know if there will be. I think I don't really know there will be any changes based off of what outside of maybe the offensive linemen, depending on where they're playing. Like we've talked about David Mormon uh, possibly playing either tackle or guard and whatnot. I, I don't really see. Yeah, I don't think right now any other position changes outside of Lyles. No, yeah, that's kind of where I'm at too. I was looking at the roster a little bit. And uh, yeah, I mean, that's the 
that's the one. I think if you consider Caden Lyles either well, moving one back from from D tackle to to center, but then or to the O line, but I guess from my end, like moving him from center to guard, I think is probably about the extent um on on kind of how that'll go. I think they've and when you get this far into obviously this is Coach Christ's fifth recruiting class, um I think you you really you start to get your program where you want it as far as people at certain positions, you know what you want the team to look like, you know what to look for in those positions. And I think that moving forward outside of like guys moving from outside the inside or vice versa, linebacker or corner to safety, stuff like that, I really wouldn't envision a ton of stuff. Guys from moving from DN to nose or, or back and forth. I wouldn't I wouldn't anticipate a ton of stuff like that. Maybe guys from linebacker to fullback or whatever. But I, yeah, I think the longer Coach Christ stays in Wisconsin, I think probably the less and less you'll start to see of that. Um, I guess my other point, though, back to Kyle Pennison, and, and again, thanks for the question. Um, I think something that people got to consider, too, like he's still got Wisconsin in his Twitter, and that's cool. He's still there, um, and he's still in school. So part of the part of the assumption, I guess, is that he's going to try to be a grad transfer, or um, maybe that's irresponsible to, to guess that, but at a certain point you would imagine that he's in his fourth year at, at UW. Um either close to graduating or, or still in school and still values his grades. Right. So it's not like he's taking visits um, to, to schools or prospective schools yet um, and, and kind of sacrificing that academic time. So um, I know we discussed a bit earlier, UW um, had at least made a contact uh, to another school regarding a grad transfer potential or a transfer portal defensive lineman. And I think at that point, that's probably where a lot of the, 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 it's a lot of kicking the tires right now. It's not a lot of direct contact between players and in, in programs. Um, you know, like I said, these kids are still in school. It's um, there's a lot more to it, I think, than than just him like leaving. You can leave the program and still be in class and still have a, a busy academic schedule that way. So um, we really don't know. He's he could come back to UW conceivably. Sure. Um, I guess at this point, though, I would probably venture to say that that's not very likely. And at the point. Like I said, he probably has an idea and he may be reaching out to former high school teammates or, or buddies he knows that play at different schools and kind of trying to, to put out some feelers. But really at this point, like I said, like it's not like he's going to make some big trip. to. And at this point, like I said, it's it's not paid stuff. He would have to pay his way to fly to a different school or to, to, to visit other places. So um, a lot of stuff going on. I think maybe spring break might be a time where you start to see stuff like that change. But um yeah, like this is, he's still very much um, a student at this point, and and that's probably a lot uh, a lot of, of Kyle's time at this point. Yeah, I mean, right now we're assuming he's still a student too. Let's just say that too, where it looks like he's still a student at UW. He hasn't posted up anything on, uh, you know, and not to be a creeper or anything, but he hasn't hasn't posted anything up on, you know, really on. Um, I would say, you know, anything on social media, like any tweets outside of some retweets here and there uh at least instagram his instagram really hasn't anything since the pinstripe bowl and then ever since you know like he's had a couple of retweets here um so you know on twitter so i you know like i said we don't we assume that he's still in school uh but you know we you know, like i said we we confirm he left the pro the football program but you know like I said, there's always that chance he could come back uh, but we don't know exactly the status. I mean, that's how the transfer portal works. But from what we know, he, he's gone from the program currently. So uh, a big thanks there, uh, you know, uh, to uh, Super Crawl. Uh, let me just make sure we check. I put something up on Facebook real quick just to take a look at uh, just to see who, if anyone else asked. Nope, no one else asked anything else. So we are good to go. But let's take it home, man. I uh, appreciate your time once again, my friend, on this Wednesday evening. We'll we'll have another show coming up tomorrow. Uh, not tomorrow, but next week. And once you tell people, uh, so we'll see. I'll I'll tell them where to find on social media. Follow us on Twitter at B5Q, you at Reese R I E S E Draft, me at Jake Coco B5Q. Our Instagram page. I got to put up some photos of the basketball game from last night. Facebook, like us on Facebook because we put all our stories. And Owen, tell us where they can find Bucky's Fifth Quarter, Bucky's Fifth Podcast on the SB Nation Team Brands Network. Yeah, man. Be sure to follow us, uh, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or anywhere else you can find your podcasts. Uh, Really had a good time doing this so far. 
Uh, we're kind of branching out here a bit, but it, it's been a good time. And, and absolutely, thank you for your time as well tonight, Jake. And uh, we're going to keep trying to do this. Um, so make sure you keep checking in. Obviously, we're going to keep, um, as we creep forward, we're going to keep talking Badger basketball, keep talking um, spring football for the Badgers and looking position by position to, to kind of keep handling that stuff. So um, again, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or anywhere else you can find podcasts. Um, we're out here. We're talking Badgers, um, and your go-to your place. Excuse me, we are your go-to place uh, for anywhere to check with Badger stuff. So um, again, five stars only. Pitter patter, uh, and thanks for joining us. And we'll we'll, uh, we'll join you again soon. Uh, for Owen Reese, this is Jake Okorowski. I'll check you guys out next week here on Bucky's Fifth Podcast. Thank you.